Good morning, everybody. Well, it's not called Low Sunday for nothing, and um, we're a little bit thin on the ground this morning, um, but that doesn't mean that we can't worship, and that doesn't mean we can't carry on the Christmas celebrations. Welcome, um, Steve Holland, who we all know and love from Girton Baptist Church, who's been um, who is supporting us as our moderator during Kate's maternity leave, and. Uh, He's now coming to take the service. And tea and coffee will be served um, after the service. There'll probably be about 10 cups of coffee per person and three mince pies. So please do stay to enjoy the refreshments. Thanks, Steve. Well, good morning to you. It's really good to be back here. It seems, seems like an age, and I guess it has been a while. But uh, to, to, to be here on the final service of the year... Um, is, is a real treat, even though there might just be one or two of us. Let me bring some words from Scripture to you. It's from John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness have not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I used that passage as my Advent theme. Uh, It was a way of looking at what was about to happen, what we celebrate at Christmas in a slightly different way. So I bring that to you. As we, uh, as we move forward into this new year, we'll be considering some of that a little bit later on. Now, some of us realise that uh, in the middle of next week, something happens. Who can tell me what that might be? Middle of next week. Yeah. It's the new year, absolutely. And some of us, I guess, will be looking forward to this new year. We might think that 2013 has been a horrible year. And 2014 can't possibly be any worse. It must be better. And certainly it's unknown, isn't it? We might have some thoughts of what will happen, but it's really unknown. And it's, uh, it's also a time of year where typically we make New Year's resolutions. And uh, I don't know if you've been thinking about some of the resolutions you might, uh, might make. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> We haven't quite come to that one yet, but we will, and uh, we, we can deal with that. You got New Year? New Year, absolutely. And as I say, that, that brings hope, doesn't it? Um, the sad thing is, in lots of ways, we wait until the 31st of December, 1st of January, before we think about New Year's. And of course, with God, every day is a new beginning. And so we don't need to wait for these times to make those resolutions. Our next resolution is Weight Watchers. Some of us have had really, really plentiful uh, food over the Christmas period. And uh, so some of us will be saying, we're going to go on a diet. We're going to lose some weight. And some of us are going to say, we're going to spend more time on computers and computer games. Because I read an article that actually is good for you. Computer games aren't good for you because <laughs> because they they increase your dexterity and uh, hand-eye coordination. But of course, 
As with all of these things, it needs to be in balance. And so we must, uh, must keep these things in balance. I think that was the last one. And, you know, resolutions are good, but we seldom stick to them. Uh, and they are only really of any benefit when we do stick to them. And Jesus uh, has said something about this. And we find this resolution in the Bible in Psalm 77. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on your works and consider your mighty deeds. And so I would like to suggest that one resolution you might make and that you might really try hard to keep is to remember. To remember all the good things that God has done. To remember what we celebrate at Christmas in the gift of Christ. And to work each day with that in your mind. Striving to be a better person and living as he would want us to. And uh, I think they've probably found lots more words than I even ever thought were in there. It's always dangerous when you put together a word search. You found cola. You found cola as well? Wow. In chocolate. Very good. Let's resolve to be a, a thankful people by remembering what God has done for us. The reading is from Isaiah chapter 61. And verses 1 to 11. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated, they will renew the ruined cities and that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion and instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness I will reward them, and make them everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up 
and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Well, 2013 is nearly over, just a few more days left, and I'm sure that as we look back, for all of us really, it will have been a mixed year. There will be different aspects of it, some of which we'll be really pleased to see the end of, others that we hope will continue into the new year. Some of us have suffered, or we've had disasters, or other unhappiness. But hopefully it's been balanced with times of joy and rejoicing. And of course we've all been touched by some of the events of the world. So as our thoughts turn to this new year, perhaps we're asking what will 2014 bring? Will it be a year of sorrow and pain or joy and rejoicing? Well, one thing it will bring, of course, is the return of Kate. And I'm sure that you're really looking forward to that. Uh, and that's just in time for the Easter celebrations. And uh, I know, as, as some of you do, I've been away on sabbatical. And the, the church were, on the whole, really pleased to see me back after that uh, time of sabbatical. And as I'm sure you will be uh, rejoicing greatly when Kate comes to take over uh, the church once more and lead you uh, on into that, that new year. Because the new year does bring hope. There's great hope in it. And there is always hope. And not just because of the turning of a year, but because of Christmas and because of Easter. And all that God has done and continues to do for us. And that's partly what this passage about, is about. You see, in our scripture reading today from Isaiah, we see a prophecy. And it's a prophecy of what is about to happen, but it is a prophecy of something that will be going on which is even greater. The immediate prophecy is about the release from captivity from Babylon, that God is going to restore his people. And he assures his people through his prophet Isaiah that there is going to be a coming redemption and restoration which will bring about that rejoicing, that joy. And that's really what I want us to think about today. As we look at that passage, we're not going to see it specifically in the historical context of release from Babylon, but actually in the prophetic word that was there in Christ coming at Christmas and obviously dying for us at Easter. And so I'm going to look at it in two ways. The first is going to be redemption. And the second is going to be restoration. And the first thing that I want to suggest is that we are redeemed from bondage. It says in the scripture there, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom from the captives and release from the darkness of prisoners. This is Isaiah saying that. But of course we see it echoed in Jesus' own words in the New Testament. It's the story of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. God has already redeemed us from our captivity in sin. You know, every one of us, before we knew that salvation, was bound 
in chains to the sinfulness of our natures. And Christ frees us from that. The sad thing is, many of us don't know about this good news of redemption. We don't need to remain poor. We don't need to continue to be broken hearted. We don't need to live as prisoners of sin. And yet we do. And there's a whole world out there that is still in that darkness. They have not yet seen the light that God sent into the world. The light that brings life. Because the Bible tells us, doesn't it? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Here's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And each one of us who knows the truth of Christ, our Redeemer, knows that truth that we are renewed. So I hope that none of you are hanging on to the sin of the past. Because in a sense, if you are, then you're not really accepting what Christ has done. But that's not easy always, is it? Sometimes we we expect, because of the guilt culture that we're part of, that if we do something wrong, we should be punished. And so when God just releases us from it and forgives us, and we seem to have got away with it, that's difficult for us. And so we hang on to it, waiting for that time when we get the, the punishment we deserve. And I want to encourage you to let go of anything you might be hanging on to. Because if you don't, you're actually dishonouring God. Because God wants to give you this gift. And it isn't something you can ever earn or have any expectation of. It is that gift of grace wrapped up in that bundle that we celebrate on Christmas Day. And I guess that leads me into the second point, which is it's a redemption from shame. And so many of us live in shame. In Isaiah uh, 61 verse 2 it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Today is the year of God's favour and grace. You know we can say goodbye to all of that shame and fear because the old life which was full of failures and mistakes that brought us that shame and disgrace is gone. And we have a new life. I know that we're constantly going to fail and fall. But we don't need to stay there. You know, I I, I can't remember who sang it, but there's a song, you know, uh, you pick yourself up, dust yourself down, start all over again. And that's exactly what we have with Christ. We come to the foot of the cross and we say, Lord, I messed up. I got it wrong. I'm really, really sorry. I want to go forward with you. And we leave it at the cross and we get up and we move on with Christ. And the shame and the guilt that held us where we were is gone from us. Because we are a redeemed people. We are a people of grace. We repent our sins and we receive God's forgiveness. And that's the end of it. The year of the Lord's favour is upon us. In Hebrew, that means, uh, it meant uh, the year of favour, God's favour, was a time when debts were forgiven. That uh, uh, their, their whole system was that if, if you took a kinsman into slavery, into service, in the year of favour, they would be released. 
If you'd lent money to a kinsman, you would, uh, you would discharge the debt and uh, it, they would be freed of it. And they move on from that with no debts whatsoever. And we have that same uh, salvation. We have that same redemption. We receive that same mercy. And we can receive it today as much as we can any other day. We just come before the Lord. We repent and decide to live that new life in Christ that he gives. And the third thing that he gives us redemption from is from corruption. Isaiah 61 verse 3. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. You know, this is talking about 70 years of captivity for Israel in Babylon. Where they literally put ashes on their head as a sign of mourning. And those who captivated them required a song from them. You know, Boney M uh, made it quite popular a number of years ago. I'm showing my age, I guess. On the rivers of Babylon. Yeah? And, and it sort of says, you know, how can we sing a song for the Lord while in a foreign land? Psalm 137. And of course it was difficult. Because captivity brought corruption into their lives. Because they were living in a pagan land. They were living under the bondage and the vices and sin of the nation around them. And some of them, a good many of them, came in step with the society that they were part of. They mirrored those that were around them. Indeed, it was their, their straying from the path of God that caused their captivity in the, in the first place. They'd become a corrupt nation. You know, corruption in its fullest sense is about a rotting. It's about a disintegration. It's not just about taking backhanders. It's much, much worse than that. And these were a people that had been subjected to the, to the real corruption. And the trouble is the church today can, can fall into the same problems. Because we live in the world, don't we? And we live in a world, a society, a culture, in this country at least, that, that seems to be further and further straying from what the Lord teaches. And the trouble is we see more and more churches emulating what the world is doing. And I think part of their reason for doing it is because they want to become popular. They want to reach out to the people around them and they think that the only way they can do it is by emulating what they're doing. But that's wrong. Because we're meant to be distinctive. We're meant to be distinctive as churches and we're meant to be distinctive as individuals. What we want people to do when they see us is see something that is different. And that difference should be something they want. And when Christ is in our life, when our, his spirit fills us, and particularly in those difficult times, when we feel God's strength holding us up, you know, when I am weak, I am strong. They're the real times when people see something different. Despite all the struggles... We endure. 
And we're able to praise our God. And that then draws them into, into a desire to find out what it is. Well, the second part of what I wanted to talk about is the restoration. Because clearly these people had been redeemed. They'd been brought back. They'd been uh, purchased, if you like. Much as we have. We talk about the redemption of Christ. We don't perhaps quite talk so much about restoration. But we are restored. You know, when Christ comes into us, we are restored into what God always wanted us to be. And that begins with the restoration of our broken lives. Verse 4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. I wonder if any of you have ever seen a ghost town. An abandoned place. Ruined buildings without any inhabitants. They don't actually have to be that ruined. There's an emptiness. They're not what they meant to be. There's a sadness and a, a brokenness that goes with it. And too many people have their lives like that. Full of sadness and broken hearts. But God has the power to restore broken lives. You know, my life was pretty broken at one stage. You know, I've, I've had the privilege of knowing times of plenty. But I went through a stage in my life where I was actually, for a, for a short time, living in a caravan on the A1. That was tough. It was because of my own sin that I was there. But God lovingly has restored my life. He's renewed my heart and my soul. And he's blessed me beyond anything I could ever deserve and actually anything I could ever imagine. And I have now a wonderful family and two great boys. And, and I can tell you about the joy of being restored. Not only in the sense of my physical well-being and my material well-being, but even more, my restoration to God. I didn't know God before. But as I've come to know God, I've realised that actually some of those times when I had little, I always had enough. God was always there with me, even though I didn't acknowledge him. But I also realised that in those times of plenty, when I, and I've had great wealth, I never had enough. I always wanted more. God has taught me so much. He's restored me. But most of all, he's restored me into his family. And then there's the restoration of God's favour there in verse 5. Aliens will be shepherd, sorry, will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. You know, the restoration of God and people's favour is one of benefits of renewed life. And it isn't restricted to one or two. It is there for everyone. God wants to pour his favour upon us, but we know our sin blocks that. It's what separates us from God. But God has longed for us to be restored into that family. And so he sent his son. And what we have here in this, in this wonderful passage is the promise of what he's going to do. The restoration that comes about through Jesus Christ. That we celebrate at Christmas. That we celebrate at Easter. Christ shows us the way. 
He is the, the living testimony of God's power. The power to change lives. And of course he brings glory to God. And in that, he's the perfect example for each one of us. Because each one of us can do exactly the same because of the miracles that take place in our life. And miracles do take place. I'm not a believer that miracles stopped at the end of the first century. I think they happen today. I just don't think we're looking for them quite so hard. Or we discount them. We, we live in a nation that's sceptical and will always try to explain things away. But I see God's hand at work in miraculous ways all the time. And I can rejoice. God's, God sends his power upon us that we can be restored. That our lives can be transformed. And because of that transformation, because of that joy of knowing Christ, we can glorify God. You know, I have a little mantra that I've been using for, well, quite some time now. And that is the first, of, first and foremost call upon us is to honour God, bring glory to his holy precious name. The next one is to build his kingdom. You know, Matthew 28, 19, doesn't it? It says, go out into all the world, making believers of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Build the kingdom and encourage his people, that's the third part. And so much of what we read here is about encouraging. Yes, it's also about building. And it's also about giving glory to God. But it's about encouraging. It's about encouraging us, perhaps when life is tough. And know that we can be restored to, the, to, to God's favour. Where he looks upon us and sees the purity of Christ. He doesn't see the sin that lives within us. And that leads then to my final point, which is the restoration of joy. Verse 7. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. You know, the key word for, well, the two words there for me is the joy and the everlasting. You know, I wonder how expectant you are. I wonder how much you are thinking of eternity. Or how much you're bound to this world and the troubles that are in it. Because it's when we see that eternal perspective that we can really rejoice. Because actually, in the scheme of things, the few years we live on this earth, however difficult they might be, are the blink of an eye in, this, in the scheme of eternity. And we know that when we are with God in heaven, we will be restored. There will be no more pains or aches. Our bodies will work perfectly. And we will be whole. And we will be pre present, in the presence of the Most High. The glorious God who breath, breathed life into us. And we will be rejoicing. We will be singing in tune uh, for the glory of God. A man once had a motorcycle accident in an isolated place in the Philippines. The victim called for help. But instead of helping him, the people robbed him of his belongings. They even took his motorcycle. Now they're people that are incredibly heartless. You know, we've seen similar things on the television recently uh, of students that have been mugged and supposed 
onlookers that are helping have actually been rifling him of all of his, all of his goods. And these people are heartless. The devil is like these heartless people. And once we become his victim, he will steal everything from us. But God is our rescuer and our healer. And he can rescue our lives when nobody else wants to help us. We can cry out for his help and he will surely come. It is a guarantee. He will always be just a prayer away from helping us. God can restore all that has been stolen from us from the, by the enemy, whether it is love, joy, family, relationships, property, reputation, peace of mind, health, all of those things. And those are the things that are the consequence of sin. You know, we have such a privilege that we can know a God that would do all of this. I'm very aware of time. I always prepare too much. You know, I've got so much more I could say on this. We are redeemed. Verse 10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorned his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That's what we should feel. That's what Isaiah felt as he heard what God was going to do. And that's, I hope, what we can feel. People in captivity cannot sing songs of joy. It's only when our lives have been delivered by the grace of God that we can sing the song of praise and celebration that comes from our hearts. You remember I said earlier about uh, it's where what's coming out of our hearts, not what's coming out of our mouths. And that's what we can do as a result of the redemption that we have in Christ. And then in verse 11 he says, For as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. You know, there's that sense of restoration. As a result of that restoration, we can flourish. We can grow. And we can witness to those around us as to the goodness of God. From the heart of an unregenerated people springs up evil thoughts. But from the hearts of those who have been restored, we see hearts of love. Hearts of love for God that naturally flow from within our spirits. And I pray that that is something that each and every one of us can experience and know and share with those around us. So, in this coming year, let us experience God's redemption and freedom from sin as we come repeatedly to Christ as our saviour of our lives. As we allow the Holy Spirit to, to restore and renew our hearts and, of course, our minds. And to do it daily so that we can experience the real joy and celebration of the new life that we have in Christ. If you're already tired of living in fear and the misery of life in the valley of a ruined city called sin, you can still change your direction. Choose the right way. 
Choose Jesus and you can write a different story for your life in this new year that's about to start. And you will know the rejoicing and joy that God can place in your hearts. Let us pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for your goodness to us, for the blessings that you pour out upon us, for the grace that we can never earn or deserve. And we are in awe of you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a redeeming God, that you have purchased our lives, that we might be made whole again. For you have restored us into what you have always wanted us to be and you continue that restoring work day by day as we shed the world and its influence upon us as we come to the cross and commit ourselves to you. So Lord, bless us and make us strong and put joy in our hearts that those around us can see. For this we ask in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Now, awesome and gracious God, You who are the power that brings us to life and the spirit that sustains us. Forgive us for being less than we might be. Guide us to become what is in our power to become in your service. Send us out from this place of worship and time of celebration to live lives of hope, to be nurturers of vision and wholeness and to serve as healers in this wounded world. For this we ask in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. 